Christ. And I'd like to ask for you to stand with me for the reading of the word. I'm going to be reading again from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 19. You can be seated. So last week, Caleb did Spiritual Warfare Part 1, Understanding, what was it called? Understanding the Struggle, or something like that. I don't remember the title. Uh, so today, my, I entitled my message, The Best Defense is a Good Offense. Um, and, you know, I think a lot about that kind of stuff for whatever reason. Maybe because I, I, I studied martial arts for like a long time. And uh, when I first started out, I remember sparring with my instructor and him just popping me you know and as we're trying to spar and one of his favorite sayings was you can't block anything as he was just lighting me up you know and I'm just like trying to block him and everything and he's trying to help me understand you can't just stand there and use all these basic blocks you've learned to defend yourself indefinitely because when someone's attacking you you're gonna get you're gonna get hit so he would always say you 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 can't block everything you got to trade you have to make their blows less effective and your blows more effective. So I learned that pretty quickly. And I, I remember what drew me into the, the world of, of this was this fascination with Bruce Lee, <laughs> and if you've ever heard of him, and Kung Fu Theater, which was this awesome TV show when I was a kid where they played the old school Kung Fu movies. And that world was just enthralled me. I thought, man, that, those guys are just like superheroes. They can jump up in trees and flip and fly and punch people through walls and then that's the cutout of the person in the wall it's just amazing what these guys can accomplish i want i want that kind of power in my life you know because i was this small little kid you know just get kicked and pushed around and i thought that's that's the life for me you know this magical power of martial arts so when i was in high school i started a friend of mine said hey i'm doing this thing you should come down and check it out so i go down there and and uh start working out with these guys and just kind of got beat up all the time and it it was like food for me like I just loved it it was like oh this is awesome I can't I couldn't get enough but as I as I studied I I began to see um people would come down to our school I would invite them like hey come down and learn with us it's really fun and they'd be like oh yeah cool and they kind of had that same kind of inkling of like I'm going to get magic power by studying martial arts you know and they would show up and then after like one or two classes they realized like there's not a lot of magic here. This is just repetitive, hard work for a long time. Ugh. Like, who, who wants that? I want, like, the magic pill. I want, I want like, the, the secret court of blood technique that I can just put on somebody and a court of blood, you know, falls out of them. Uh, I never learned that. I never learned that technique. I don't think it exists. You know, you, in the martial arts magazines, you would read about the guys that taught ninjutsu, you know, as if it was a thing. And they would, they, they would claim that they could control animals and, you know, kill people with, like, one touch, like, two weeks later and, like, all this stuff. It's like, why would you want to do that, first of all? But uh, there's, there was, I found it's just this kind of practicing the basics, you know. And, and I, as I begin to work out, there's, like, this system of belts that we've developed, you know, so that martial arts instructors can eat. But uh, you, you get belts as you, as you progress through your, through your training, you know, and you just got to train for, for a lot of years, and you get a black belt. And the black belts in my school would say, a black belt is just someone who has mastered the basics. They learned the basic moves, and they mastered them, and now they're a black belt. That's what they are. They've sort of come full circle, 
And they, they would say, you know, when I first started martial arts, like a punch was just a punch and a kick was just a kick. And then as you study, you dig, you dive into the movements and everything and, and what, it, like, what it looks like. And, and then you realize, and then by the time you're a black belt again, it's a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. You just know how to do it right. And uh, so we, we'd work out and, and do all this stuff and people would sort of come for a while and then just kind of fade out. And they realized martial arts is, is not magic. And in fact, you can't jump up into trees and stuff and, and all that, that kind of thing. You can jump down from trees, but uh, that hurts after a while. <clears throat> so the second thing that I, that I picked up, there's two, there's two points, and these are going to tie in as I, as I talk through here. When I first started uh, around 1990-ish, 89, not <laughs> so long ago now, right? It still sounds like a recent time to me. But... Uh, so I started working out during that time, and there was this thing that happened. Uh, this guy in Brazil, a very proud guy, who thought that his system of martial arts was, like, the best. And in martial arts, like the martial arts world, that was always the thing. Like, is your, your system's, like, the best. And the way you find out is you go fight people to find out, like, is my system the best? So this guy in Brazil would go on the beach with his, with his buddies and videotape himself just beating people up, you know, like, just starting fights on the, on the beaches of Brazil. And, and the UFC was born <laughs> by these guys in, in doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the Gracie family. And then they thought, you know, beating guys up on the beach is kind of boring and, and they're terrible. So let's invite martial artists from all over the world and we'll have the first official, like, ultimate fighting championship. So they brought in all these different styles, you know. So you've got sumo wrestlers fighting, like, guys with boxing gloves on. It's very, very entertaining. Very brutal. Like, you had to fight, like, four times in $1,000 if you're, you know, still alive. That would basically cover, like, your emergency room visit. And uh, these guys were just, like, brutal, super fun for me to watch. I was just like, this, this is awesome. And uh, so I've been a fan, like, ever since uh, of the UFC. But it was this thing, and it, it, it existed in other places called submission wrestling, okay? So some, in submission wrestling, you can knock somebody out and win, you know, like boxing, sort of, like, beat them down, and, and then you win. Or you can get them, like, in a hold, and submit them, like twist their body or arm in such a way that they give up and they tap out, right? Like you guys have heard the term tap out. All my girls know what tap out means. They, they know how to do it perfectly. Sometimes a little too quickly, I, I think. But uh, that's on them. So submission wrestling was interesting to me. I, and I, I kind of follow it, although I can't afford it anymore to follow it. But uh, it's, I, read, I read the updates online of what happened. But uh, it's very interesting. So what does this mean for our spiritual struggle? Paul uses the term wrestle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And he used a term that they understood. They had wrestling matches in their society. And so people would come and wrestle and be wrestling champions. And that's the word that he chose to describe the struggle that he's, that he's laying out in Ephesians chapter 6. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. He said, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And I just want to make one point as we go into this, into this uh, engagement in spiritual warfare. And Caleb talked last week. He said, you know, here's the awareness piece, and next week, we're gonna, this is going to be kind of a cliffhanger, and we're going to talk about engagement in spiritual warfare, you know. And as I sat in my chair, I thought, a cliffhanger and sort of a letdown. So the cliffhanger is sort of a letdown. So just to let you know as we dive into this, because spiritual warfare is something that is very normal in the Christian life. 
and I, and I want to I want to take it down from a, from a from a weird place to a normal place and understand that the reality of what Paul is saying here. And I, I wrote it down this way. The normal Christian life is an ongoing struggle. What Paul describes as wrestling. And if you've ever wrestled, you know, if, if you've ever wrestled with somebody, like high school, college, like whatever, wrestling is one of those things that is amazingly tiring. It's, it's incredibly tiring to actually wrestle with someone. Because, you, you know, you, you watch, like, you know, WWF, and you're jumping around and flying. That's whatever. But, like, actually, like, collegiate wrestling where you're on the ground and, like, holding somebody, or UFC where you're, like, holding somebody and you can punch them. Like, wow. That is so hard. When we would roll, like, when, in my garage, we used to work out, and we would roll, and guys would learn the moves, and they're, they're getting pretty good. And then when they got, like, good enough where they could kind of beat me, I'd be like, all right, now let's add punching. So then I would just punch my way out of it, you know, because they weren't ready for it. But, uh... Wrestling is incredibly tiring. Jesus describes being his disciple as taking up your cross and following him. If the normal Christian life of a disciple is a struggle, this wrestling, I want to I just clarify, like, what are we struggling for? What are we, what's the struggle? What is it? And I think so many times we, we don't understand the struggle, or we just sort of, have an ignorant understanding based on our own sort of proclivity toward moralism that the struggle is somehow to struggle against sin and against doing bad stuff. If, if, you, if you're thinking that the normal Christian life is just a struggle to not do bad stuff, to not sin, you're missing out on the abundant life that Christ has offered to us. The, the, Christ, the struggle that we face, the wrestling that we must do is for righteousness, not only against unrighteousness. The struggle that we get to struggle, we get to struggle for holiness. It's a positive struggle. It's not only a negative struggle or only a defensive struggle. And that's important because we could think about, it's just so easy to think like, oh, I'm just, I'm just in my own power going to not do this thing. I'm just not going to go get a chocolate donut, you know, and I just, I'm just going to, in my own strength, not do that. And it's like, I don't, I don't have, eventually I don't have the strength. And even the fact that I just started thinking about chocolate donuts starts to like weigh against me in my own mind. And I'm not really relying on the power of God in that situation. Rather than say, I'm, I'm going to not go get a chocolate donut, I, I could say, I'm going to go spend time with my family. Or I'm going to go prayer. I'm going to go to the word. There's, there's a positive way to struggle and a negative. And there's a losing way to struggle. So what are we fighting for? We're fighting for righteousness. We're fighting for a deeper and growing relationship with Christ. That's what spiritual warfare is. The enemy doesn't want you to have that. He, doesn't want you, he wants you to be isolated. He wants you to be fearful. He wants you to be believing all the lies that he has. He doesn't want you to be connected with other people. He doesn't want you to, to be close to God. Because to be close to God makes the enemy run away. And so his whole thing is to get you in a place that keeps you weak spiritually. And so we read the full armor of God, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll mention that in a little bit. But the struggle of discipleship, the struggle of spiritual warfare is not a fight against the devil or a fight against sin and unrighteousness. To understand that following Jesus means to avoid sin and bad stuff is to miss the true nature of a, the abundant life that Jesus has promised us. We are called to stand firm because when you're trusting Jesus, you are given his righteousness. The struggle is to learn how to walk in it. 
Jesus didn't go to the cross so you could try and make yourself holy. He went to the cross so you could be reconciled to God, forgiven for your mistakes, so that now you can grow and change. Our struggle is for growth and change, and by grace through faith to walk out the good works that God has for us. It's important because this frames and guides our fight and helps us understand our weapons. And we struggle on three fronts. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So spiritual warfare is not just fighting against ghosts and goblins. (laughs) Spiritual warfare is fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Ephesians chapter 2 outlined this. Caleb outlined it. I want to just define those things a little bit more from a book. Three crucial questions about spiritual warfare. Clinton E. Arnold. The world. The world is the unhealthy social environment in which we live. This includes the ungodly aspects of culture, peer pressure, values, traditions, what is in, what is uncool, customs, philosophies, and attitudes. The world represents the prevailing worldview assumptions of the day that stand contrary to the biblical understanding of reality and biblical values. Our culture has an incredibly profound influence on the way we think and act. That's one aspect of spiritual warfare that the Bible talks about. The second aspect is the flesh. Our fle- the world is against Jesus, is against God and us. Our flesh is against God and us. The flesh is the inner propensity or inclination to do evil. It is the part of our creatureliness tainted by the fall that remains with us until the day we die. It's our continuing connection to this present evil age, which is destined to perish, but against which we must struggle now. As Christians, however, we are new creatures, and the compelling influence of the flesh has been broken by Christ's death on the cross. Nevertheless, this inner compulsion continually seeks to reassert its claim, and we can only resist it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, the devil. The devil is an intelligent, powerful spirit being that is thoroughly evil and is directly involved in perpetrating evil in the lives of individuals as well as on a much larger scale. He's not an abstraction, either as a personification of the inner corrupt self or in the sense of a symbolic representation of organized social evil, i.e., or e.g., Nazism. Paul describes him in Ephesians as the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. Jesus calls him the prince of the power of of this world or of the air. So the devil is not just a a symbol or whatever. It's it's an active, malevolent personality that wants to destroy, steal, kill, and destroy. But when we talk about spiritual warfare, he's just part of the equation. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil against which we struggle. So we're living in this dichotomy, flesh and spirit. We're weird creatures, because we have the spirit, a soul. We know that we're more than just this thing, this body that always just sort of troubles us and just is weird. And the world has a, has a sway on our, on our motivational structures. These three factors all work together to influence us. And we're encouraged not to give over influence to the world, the flesh, or the devil. So how are we to fight this battle and what does spiritual warfare look like? And here's where I get to the the cliffhanger. It's so much like martial arts. We hear about engaging in spiritual warfare and think we're going to learn like secret prayers or, you know, secret techniques or spiritual, super spiritual things to, to fight against the enemy. But what we find out we need to focus on is the basics. The battle plan for spiritual warfare is simple. And it's a reminder. The best defense is a good offense. 
the basics of the Christian life are not sexy or thrilling or new. It's the life of a disciple of Jesus. A disciple meaning a learner, an ongoing, lifelong learner, someone who's learning how to be more like Jesus, learning more about Jesus, knowing him more, and learning more about those that God has put around you. There are a few different ways to sum it up. So let's listen to these familiar scriptures with the idea of spiritual warfare in mind. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. So when we think about spiritual warfare, there is, it is a matter of authority. And Jesus just told us something that we need to plant in our, in our motivational structures. We need to plant it in our hearts. Jesus has all authority. He just, he, he says it straight up. I have been given all authority. So, and then he gives a command. That's what authority does, right? Go and make disciples. While you're going, make disciples. I like to say it more correctly. Jesus has all authority. Caleb talked about the spiritual authorities and powers and principalities and uh, evil powers in this dark world and, and you know the way all the way those those words are are translated it's all this this hierarchy of authorities but at the very top of that pyramid is jesus he's the authority over all of these things jesus has all authority and jesus is always with us he said go out make disciples and check it out i'm always with you i'll be with you to the end of the age Jesus has all authority, and he's always with us. That's amazing. And that's just such a, you know, like, oh, we don't want to hear that verse anymore. That's like basics, you know. That's like standing in a horse stands for half an hour. <clears throat> what are your marching orders? Go fight the devil? No. While you're going, in your normal life, make disciples, which is to teach people to obey or observe everything that Jesus commanded us. The church is where we face the, this is where we face the biggest opposition to live the normal Christian life, to make disciples in our everyday life, to walk hand in hand with the people that God has put us in fellowship with. This is where we face the real spiritual struggle. Hey, are you coming on Tuesday night? No, I can't make it. <laughs> are you, can we go get lunch? No, I can't make it. Oh, no. Oh, I haven't seen you in six months. Like, how are you doing? Oh, fine, I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> Let's go worship Jesus. Like, it's not true. We, we all face struggles and we need other people to struggle with us. We need help in those struggles. And God has given us a new family, the church, to walk in, to be in relationship with, to be in community with. And, it, and it's not only a community for us, but as, as much, in as much as this community is strong and it's for us, and in, in as much as it's a new community based on the power of his spirit, it will also show other people what God is like and show them that when Jesus said it's by my <clears throat> by your love for one another that people will know that you're my disciples so it's this weird paradox you know we we talk a lot about mission like we got to be on mission and we got to get the you know some people use the term evangelism outreach whatever it is the best outreach we could ever do is to have a strong community that's filled with the Holy Spirit and loving one another and that will glorify God and radiate out to the people that are looking for that thing 
Sometimes I wonder to myself, what am I inviting people into <laughs> when I invite people into my community? <clears throat> I know I'm messed up, but I know there's some good people here at least, right? Like at least we can have faith in that. Jesus can change other people. No, he can change me too, but he uses other people to do that. So we don't go out to fight the devil. We're against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But our command is to go toward a righteous life in community, in fellowship with one another. And this happens over a long period of time. Maturing in relationships, building relationships with people where you can be honest with one another. Like, what are you struggling with? What what sins are are besetting you? (laughs) What sins are entangling you? What do you need to repent of? What What did you do this week for Jesus? Or because of what Jesus has done in your life? Or for someone else? Or what did you do this week that, was, that needs, you need to ask forgiveness for? Or can we go to one another and say, hey, I've offended you, brother or sister, uh, or that kind of a thing. It takes a while to get to that point in somebody's life to where we're not just seeing each other for 20 minutes on Sunday and being like, hey, what's up, what's up? Oh, good, good. And then, you know, just happy-go-lucky Facebook posts all week. Like, man, they're living it up. <laughs> Their life is awesome. Do we really know one another? That's the struggle. That's spiritual warfare. To build a community that really knows one another in Christ together. And it's not a relationship of like, yeah, we're going to be BFFs forever. It's like, you're, we're, we're great friends, but your friendship does not compare to my relationship with Christ. And in fact, my relationship with Christ enables us to have a true relationship with one another. We often use that analogy in marriage. Like, in your marriage, the closer you both are to Jesus, the closer you are to one another like a triangle, you know? It's kind of a, whatever, corny or whatever drawing, but it's so true. Like, if, if husband and wife are far from Jesus, they're far from one another. There's no way to, like, have this perfect marriage apart from Jesus. He created it. <laughs> He's going to be at the center of it. He enables that kind of giving love in us. So we need others to fulfill our great commission. And it takes a long time. That's what you go into the, you go into the karate school, and it's like, ah, oh, I'm ready, you know? And then three weeks later, like oh this is so boring i'm out of here that's why smart martial arts schools have you sign a six-month contract (laughs) for class because they know you're only going to be around for like a month if that but it's hard it's hard to make a living that way acts 2 gives us a glimpse into this community i'm just going to fast forward through this on the day of pentecost is a famous jewish celebration the new christians after jesus died came back to life, said, what's up, everybody? Go make disciples. And then he shot up into the sky. And they're like, whoa. And the angels are like, stop looking up, dudes. Like, get out and do what he said. So then now they're just, every day they're going to the temple and praying. And then on the day of Pentecost, it's a a Jewish celebration where people from all over the world come back to Jerusalem and celebrate this Jewish feast of Pentecost. God knew that. God knew. God planned this out perfectly. Because on that day, people from all over the world came into Jerusalem and they're celebrating and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just shows up during their prayer time most likely in the temple all the disciples are praying and then they all start speaking in all these languages of all the people that had come in to visit Jerusalem preaching the gospel to them and telling them about the glory of God and then of course the enemy is there right the enemy he uses one of his tools and the guy stands up and says oh they're drunk that's why they can speak perfect other dialects of other people because they're drunk you're an idiot. You're a liar. You're the devil. That's the kind of stupid stuff that he does. And other people are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're drunk. Oh, whatever. 
But why could they speak other languages? Peter says, they're not drunk, as you suppose. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preaches the gospel to them. And he says, this promise of the Spirit is to all of you. It's by faith in Christ. And then the church is born this day, we say. This is like the birth of the church. 3,000 people are added to their number. Wow, like 3,000-person church. That's awesome. That means that they're, you know, they must, whoever, Peter must, has to write a book, like right now. And uh, so they've got this 3,000-person church, and they're just growing, and, they're, and God's adding to their number daily. And it, just soon after this, the enemy starts to persecute the church. The normal growth in Christ, the, when good things are happening in Jesus, we're going to have resistance. We're going we're gonna to face persecution. That shouldn't dissuade us. That should actually be a signpost that we're on the right track. One of the pastors that I met, one of my teachers in Bible college, he said, you know, if you've, if you've never seen the devil face to face, you might be headed in the wrong direction. And so this church is born and it grows and then the, the Peter, Peter and John, James and John, I don't remember. Silver and gold have I none. Remember that song? James and John, they get arrested for healing a guy. And then the Pharisees are like, what do we do about this? They healed a guy. They're preaching the name of Jesus. And they're like, stop preaching in the name of Jesus or we'll, or we'll beat you up, you know? And they, they said, well, whatever. We're, we gotta do what God says. God told us to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus. And then they beat him up and they let him go. And they go back to the church. And in Acts 4, they get together and, and they tell him what happened. Like, hey, this guy was healed and they arrested us. And the whole church is just... They're excited. They see the opposition not as a setback, but as being on the right path. So that following Jesus is going to be filled with opposition, and yet that's where we need to be headed. So in Acts two forty two, this is a, this is a passage that has become to mean more and more to me because I think it reflects sort of the, when I talk about the basics. You know, when you learn basics in. in in fighting, you learn like your punches and your blocks and your kicks and whatever, you know. And uh, there's basic things. You just practice them over and over and over and over again. That's why people do forms or katas. You guys heard of those terms? Where they just like do like movements like in, a, like in some kind of pre-designed. That's just to practice your basics. It's just a boring way. It's a, it's a less boring way to not just stand there and be like, uh, 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 you know, for like 300 punches. Because you can kind of move around and use your imagination. So, the basics, I think, are outlined for us in Acts 2.42. It says, all the believers were devoted, okay? All the believers devoted themselves to the following. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, and a prayer. The word breaking, breaking of bread is the term that's used there. And it clearly means communion. It means the Lord's table. But it also means getting together and eating, having meals, sharing meals together. <clears throat> it's a pretty simple little outline for the basics you're devoted to the apostles teaching which is just a way of saying the gospel message the teaching of scripture it's something that you're in, you have an enduring focus on it's, you're learning it you're you're devoted to the fellowship now fellowship doesn't mean just like potlucks and hanging out this term means like a business partnership so our fellowships and our hanging out are not because we like the food or we like to hang out with each other it's because of Jesus and what he's done in our lives together. So it's about knowing Jesus together. That's, that's fellowship. It's, like a, it's a business partnership that's about Jesus. 
So you don't really have to like the people in your church or in your group or whatever it is because you love Jesus. He's going to let you love them. So this fellowship, they're devoted to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, sharing in communion and sharing in eating meals together. And we saw it, we see in Acts in the early church, they begin to have celebrate the Lord's table or take communion on a weekly basis. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, they would get together and they would do this. And outsiders would accuse them of eating flesh and drinking blood and being some kind of weird cult because that's what they were talking about. It's like, that's what they, that's what they claim. So these are the basics. The last one is prayer, and I'm going to talk more about that. <clears throat> so the celebration of, of breaking bread, too, the, this Lord's table, when we come to the Lord's table, we do it every week here as a reminder that our righteousness is not our own. But it's an important thing that happens as we celebrate this because what we're saying is because of Jesus' death on the cross, because Jesus was uh, crucified and take, took our sins upon himself and now gives us his righteous life. And he, he did this. He said, whenever you do this, whenever you drink this cup and eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. And Paul says, that's what we do. And we do this to declare his death until he returns. So this is not only a remembering for us of our righteousness in Christ, but it's a declaration that he's coming back. It's a celebration of the victory of Christ. Colossians chapter 2, Caleb read. Colossians chapter 2 is a great passage to memorize when you're thinking about spiritual warfare, when you're thinking about, when you're, when you're facing spiritual resistance. Colossians chapter 2, verses 10 through 15 says, So you are, complete, you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. It's a reminder. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision by cutting away the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins, past, present, and future. That's my addition. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. God made you alive. Read through this passage when you have time and then reflect on who's doing the action. Who's doing the stuff in this passage? Who made you alive? God made you alive. Who canceled the record of debt against you? God canceled it. He put it on the cross. Who won the victory? Jesus won the victory. This is an encouragement because you get to share in it. You don't just have to live this life wondering, how am I going to make it through? You're connected to the, the conquering king of the universe. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. There's only two kingdoms in this world. Some people think to themselves, oh, I don't want to learn about spiritual warfare. I, I just need to be careful. You know, I'm kind of, I'm standing here on this kind of neutral ground and there's like the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of light, you know? And I don't really want to get mixed up in either one, right? <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm good where I'm at. No, you're not. You're not good. No one is good. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or you've been grabbed out of it and rescued by Jesus and put in the kingdom of light. So people, 
You're not just in a neutral zone. No one is. They're trapped hopelessly in the kingdom of darkness. And the enemy has great power over those who are in his kingdom. It's his dominion. But Jesus has disarmed these powers and authorities. They can't do anything against him. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the kingdom of darkness, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. The gates are a defensive thing. The kingdom of darkness is on the defense. There was a kingdom of darkness, and Jesus, the light of the world, came in to the kingdom of darkness, and he set up shop right in the middle of the enemy's territory, and he's creating a kingdom of light that's growing and pushing back the gates of hell. And he said they will not stand against the kingdom of light. So we're part of a movement. When you're, when you're by faith brought in to the kingdom of God, when you trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, the enemy is disarmed. He doesn't have the authority and the dominion over you that he once had. What the enemy has left is lies and accusations and temptations. The enemy does interact with us. He can still lie. But he can't, he can't overpower those who are in Christ. And so this, this last part, the enemy's tactics. So I'm going to transition into, into this idea of temptation, but I just want to re- restate what I was saying in the beginning. Spiritual warfare is the normal Christian life. Spiritual warfare is to engage in the basics, to master the basics, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. To do normal Christian stuff. Well, you can throw out that word Christian if it's too much of a distraction. To follow Jesus. Let's say that. <clears throat> so we fight this battle by pursuing the basics. And we grow in maturity in Christ together with other believers through devotion to the word, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That's one way to say it. There's a lot of different ways to say it. So secondly, the enemy lies. And I think... <clears throat> If I were going to summarize, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, he's, he's, he's called the, the father of lies. That's his native language, lies. That's interesting. <clears throat> he's the accuser of the brethren, and he's a tempter. So when we think about the enemy's attacks, primarily we're looking at deception or lies. We're looking at accusation, and we're looking at temptation. He wants to lie to us. He has influence in this world. But prayer is our primary spiritual weapon in this, or tactic, and temptation is the enemy's primary means of attack on God's people. So understanding that temptation is spiritual warfare, when we face temptation, we're entering in the realm of spiritual warfare. And Kate, Caleb, Riley, Riley, Caleb, Caleb, Caleb rightly shared, whether it's our flesh or the world or the devil, where that temptation comes from. They're all sort of working together, but it's not important when we face temptation. Sometimes we're just tempted by our own appetites. Sometimes we're tempted by our own appetites and the enemy kicks in and he tries to energize those appetites. He tries to flame, inflame them. Sometimes we're tempted by just the world. Like, hey, I just want that thing. That thing is cool. I want that all-electric Volkswagen Westphalia. Like, I would love to have that. So the threefold, the threefold struggle that we have is against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Think about how they work together. There's a world system. This system 
let's just take an example of the ideal of beauty. Okay? The world system says, here's a rack of magazines, <laughs> you know, and this, all of the faces on here are the ideal of beauty, you know, and here's the sales, here's the salesperson, male or female, whoever, they're selling our soap or our shampoo or our cigarettes or our beer, and they're just like, they're the ideal of beauty, and if, and if you buy our stuff, you either get them or you get the, I don't know, you get the ideal of beauty. If you use our soap, you know, you're your face will immediately clear up and your hair will be just like flowing and perfect and whatever, your life will just be excellent. You know, and if you, you can achieve that ideal of beauty, and it, it's such a lie. The world's ideal of beauty is such a lie. We all know it. We all know that the magazine covers are photoshopped. And if you've seen them do it, where they take the lady and they take a picture of her and she's just kind of like a normal person and then they like Google her eyes out and she's like, Bleh. and then like paint her face and it's, just, it's so bizarre. She doesn't have normal human proportions anymore, you know. It looks like a Disney princess drawing. It's just so weird. And yet we're just like, oh, wow, you know, I, I wish I looked like that. You know, so the world system is like just oppressing you. It's saying you don't measure up. You're not tall enough. You're not short enough. You're too fat. You're too skinny. You're too wide. Your nose is too long or too short or too big. Your eyes are the wrong color. Your hair's not the right style. Whatever it is, the enemy, and then the enemy comes in. Because in your flesh, you're like, yeah, I want, I want to have that ideal of beauty because I want that kind of power. I want to be able to say like, hey, look at me, everyone. Like, ooh, you know, I'm beautiful. I always like, <laughs> I always like do this, do this thing where I like swing my hair. And my, my brothers just like crack up every time. Like, it was a good weapon for me when I was playing volleyball against them because like they couldn't keep a straight face because I would just like swing my hair like every time I hit the ball at them. But uh, it's a funny thing, you know. And... Uh, we, we get caught up in this, in this cycle. The world says, here's, here's a lie, and you want to believe it, and then your flesh like wants that too, but it's, it's unattainable. And then the enemy comes in and says, you're worthless. You're ugly. You're stupid. You'll never measure up. Or the enemy says, you are beautiful, and you need to hold on to that, and that's your identity. Like the enemy, he has like a myriad of tactics. It's not just one or two. He, he is trying to learn you. He's trying to get to know you on a personal level, right? Why do you think he invented Google and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram like he he he's part of those servers like he's learning about every proclivity that we have and he wants to just prey on our weaknesses he wants to know every aspect of oh, I wish I looked like this person you know well you never will because you're just stupid and ugly and your nose is wrong and you have nose hair whatever it is you know and it's just this this malevolent like message diatribe just like all woven together with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's just, it's against us. It's so against us. You see people on, on Facebook like, oh, look, they're just awesome. They're just hanging out with their friends and eating chips, and they didn't invite me, you know? And the enemy says, yeah, they didn't, they don't like you. They, they hate you. Remember what they did to you? Hold on to that. Hold on to that slight that they, that they did to you. It's trying to in, inflame our flesh. And this is where we enter into this temptation. Now, this is the interesting thing about temptation. I've, always, I've thought about this ever since I started learning about temptation and the word and learning about submission wrestling. Because in submission wrestling, it's, it's interesting. My instructor, would all, we would learn about like holds, you know. And uh, I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll bring someone up here and like do some holds on them, you know. So I was like, Zoe, <clears throat> would you want to come up and, and help me this morning? And she's like, with what? And I said, uh, submission wrestling holds. The answer was no. 
And uh, so lucky Chris Robinson isn't here today. But uh, when we would start to do submission wrestling stuff, my instructor would say, you know, we'd learn these holds. And he would say, there's no hold that you could get me in that I can't get out of. You know, and we would all think about the holds that we learned. Because when you learn a hold, like if you learn like a, a, a python choke, right, where you like wrap your, you, can, you put your arm around somebody's neck, like right here, you know, and then you grab your own bicep, right? And then you put your other hand behind their head. And then you just like, don't do this to anyone. And then, uh, and then you just inhale like your chest and lean back and then just like constrict your arms and start to push this arm as far as you can. So you're just kind of like squeeze that neck from every angle. Cuts off the blood supply to the brain and the air supply and they have like 11 seconds to live, right? And so you're just like, bam, you know? And uh, man, it's so, it works great. It's awesome. If someone has that on you, you're done. You're not, there's no like secret move to get out of that. If you get somebody in like a guillotine choke where you, you like, it's like this and you're grabbing like underneath their neck and you grab your bicep and then you grab kind of like the back of their shirt and then you just lean back on them or even fall over and wrap your legs around them, like they're toast. They tap out or they die, Right? That's it. There's no, there's no other option. Once you, once you secure one of these holds, that's the point. They're called submission holds because they cause submission. And once you get into them, that's it. <clears throat> and this is, this is what I want to say about temptation. The scripture talks to us about how to fight temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. You know, we take all this information about Jesus and we say, yes, Jesus is the victor. Jesus is on my side. Jesus is with me. I could never face temptation. Be careful not to fall, Paul says. Be alert. Be aware. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. So my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. When you are tempted, he'll show you a way out so you can endure. So then we would, my instructor would say, go ahead, try to get me in a hold. So we would think, oh, I got you this time, you know. So we would try to go get him. And as, as I'm trying to like put on like a, a python choke or a guillotine choke or whatever, he would just like not let me get it. He would wiggle out before I had it fully like on him. And it, it was like, What? That's not fair. You got to let me, you said I can't get out of the hold. He said, said, there's no hold that you can get me into that I can't get out of. Because the process of getting into the hold is kind of complicated sometimes. You guys have probably done the martial arts things, right? Like, grab my arm. No, my other arm. No, your other arm. Like, it just like doesn't work out for people, you know? It's it's kind of silly. Like, this is a great technique. Okay, I'm going to show you. Like, no, no, turn around this way. No, get, you got to get them like in the perfect position and then it works just awesome, you know? And then when you try it, when you're getting beat up, it's just like you get rolled and it doesn't work. So the same thing with these submission holes, like you try to get him in and he would just wriggle out of it and like twist it around and like hurt us. And this is the point, like a submission hold, once it's fully applied, that's it. You will submit. But before it's fully applied, you can get out. Before they fully have it wrapped around your head and all that, you have a lot of wiggle room and you can get out of there. You can twist around, you can twist them, you can fall over on them, you can do something to get out of the submission hold before it's fully applied. And when you're being tempted, it's like a submission hold. The enemy's slowly snaking his arm around your neck, 
Like, hey, buddy, remember me? Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. And then he's like slipping his arm around your neck, you know? And then he's like slowly, hey, how are you doing? The patting your head, you know, like, are you all right still? You good? And then just like, you know, you're dead. You don't let yourself get into that position. When you're tempted, God will give you a way out. That's a promise from the word of God. That's a promise in scripture. That when we face spiritual warfare, when we face temptation, God will give you a way out. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We don't have the power in ourselves to escape the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have the power given to us by God's spirit to escape the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. When we put our faith in him, there's a transaction that occurs. We're lifted from the kingdom of darkness. We're put into the kingdom of light. As imperfect as we are, as, as necessary of growth as we are, Jesus talks about being born again. It's like you're, you're like a seventh degree mage fire sorcerer, you know, and then he pulls you out of the kingdom of darkness and you're like a little baby in the kingdom of light. Like, ah, I gotta start over, you know? So God will give us a way out. Growth in spiritual maturity, spiritual formation, is a good offense. I said the best defense is a good offense. Relying on the power and grace of God for a way of escape from the temptation is a specific tactic in our battle against the father of lies. One more thing. Jerry Brashear is a professor at Western Seminary. We, Caleb and I went to a spiritual warfare training. Uh, and uh, he, he has a great way of explaining it. When Jesus is tempted by the enemy in the wilderness, we have a paradigm sort of for interaction on the spiritual realm with, with spiritual attack. Jesus is... 40 days being tempted in the wilderness and he's hungry and the enemy comes and says hey you could make these stones into bread and Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 he said if you're the son of God tell these stones to become loaves of bread but Jesus told him no the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God the devil doesn't give up He takes him to another place, another temptation. Jesus responds with another scripture. He takes him to another place. Jesus responds with another scripture. And he tells him to get out of there. He says, uh, I will give, the devil took him to a high peak of a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. And Jerry Brashear kind of sums up this paradigm of spiritual warfare. When you're facing temptation, when you're facing spiritual attack, quote the Bible out loud to the devil. This is the sword of the Spirit that Paul references in, in the armor of God. Quote the devil out. Quote the devil. Don't quote the devil. <laughs> Quote the Bible out loud to the devil. Repeat as necessary. Jesus did it three times here. Then he commands the devil out loud to get away from him. Jesus said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And he gives us that authority to go out and make disciples. And then he says, he does Jesus-y stuff. So you quote the Bible out loud, command the devil to get away, and do Jesus-y stuff. 
That's like the three-step process. And by Jesus-y stuff, he means go worship, go pray, go spend time with other believers. Get back involved in the basics, in the reality of the spiritual life. Don't just think, oh, good, I resisted that temptation. Like, oh, I'm going to go sit by myself for a while and ponder how close that was, (laughs) right? It's very soon that you're right back on that road. But when you go and tell a friend, like, brother, I was like, so tempted today and God just delivered me from it like let's pray that's a, that's a victory right there <laughs> so in conclusion I was going to start with this but I you know I thought this thought occurred to me about this worldwide historic spiritual conspiracy and I, there is a worldwide historic spiritual conspiracy aimed at disrupting your life on every level It's forgotten or overlooked by many, but it cannot be ignored forever. They will get you. This conspiracy is laid out in the book that we call the Bible. And the conspirators is the Trinitarian God, who is the central character and the point of the whole story. This God is after you. And he's not deterred by the world. First John says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He's not deterred by our flesh. Romans chapter 8, 1 says, so there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And then continuing, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And Paul says, remember, those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you even though your body will die because of sin. The spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. We have access to a source of life to fight against our flesh to put to death the deeds of our flesh. And thirdly, he is not held back by the devil. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4, 7 and 8. God is after every individual. He's not willing that any should perish. And he's not deterred by the world, the flesh, and the devil. In fact, he's overcome these things on our behalf And we can receive his mighty power to overcome these temptations. He's done all to bring us this message of victory in Jesus' name over death and sin. And he's raising up a kingdom of light in the midst of the enemy territory. A kingdom which pushes back the defensive gates of the enemy through those he sends out and fills with his spirit. And they are called the church. And we're not immune to the attacks of the enemy, but we are protected from on high by the God who makes all things work together for the good. This is the objective of the conspirators. They want to disrupt, change, and transform your life, your character, your very nature into the likeness of Christ. Romans says this, we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who are, for the good of those who are called. <laughs> Excuse me, I lost my faith. Can I start over? And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. His purpose for them. 
This is it. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to, be, to come to him. <clears throat> and having called them, he gave them the right standing with himself. And having given them the right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Amen. Lord, help us in our spiritual battle to wake up and recognize the struggle that we're in every day and how to overcome the obstacles that we face, how to win the wrestling match that we're in, Lord Jesus. I pray for those here who are oppressed and harassed by the enemy, and I pray in the name of Jesus that the enemy would go away from them, that the enemy would release them. Lord, that you would show them the way out, the way of escape that you provided for all of us in the midst of temptation. I pray for deliverance, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. I pray that we would be delivered from believing the lies of the world and thinking that somehow we need to measure up. Lord, that we would be caught up in believing the lies that this world is going to provide everything that we need, Lord. Deliver us from this. I pray in Jesus' name, fill our hearts with the truth, Lord. Fill our hearts with your teaching. And I pray, Lord, for deliverance from our flesh. Help us, Lord, to be filled with your spirit. Help us, Lord, to be putting to death the deeds of our flesh by the power of your spirit and help us to understand how to do that every day, Lord. Help us to walk in your spirit each day, to begin our days with focus on you, to lift up our needs to you, to turn to you in those moments of temptation. Lord, I thank you for your victory. I thank you that your scripture promises are true, that you are for us and who could ever be against us. Lord, we know that the enemy still has time, that his time is short, and that he's doing his best to steal, kill, and destroy, to divide and to isolate and to do what he can to disrupt your plan, Lord. We know that his gates will not hold against you. We know that he will not have victory in the lives of those who you've claimed for your kingdom. We know that you are going to grow us, Lord, in maturity. You know that you're going to help us in that. Lord, I pray that you would help us in this church to continue and to improve our ability to grow in the apostles' teaching, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayer. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus has made that frees us from the kingdom of darkness, that releases the chains that bound us to sin, that releases us from slavery to the fear of death. Thank you for your mighty work, Lord Jesus. We celebrate it now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to remember the victory. When Jesus, on the very eve of his victory, says, this is my body broken for you. This new cup is a, is a covenant in my blood that's shed for you. Not to, not to hide our sins, but to take away our sins. So we come every week to remember the victory that we have in our struggle. The victory which is Christ's righteousness for, given for us. So come with your families. You can get your kids and, and bring them in here or you can let them wait until you're done. It's up to you. Come and celebrate the work that Jesus has done for us.